Welcome once again to uh, Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in the study we're doing through the New Testament. We have been working on this for a long time, so you know what's coming. Over three years now, we've been uh, working through, and uh, we've done the Gospels, and uh, we've done the Book of Acts, and now we're working through the letters that Paul wrote to the churches that we read about on his missionary journeys. We are, we're tackling them in the order we believe they were written. Um, hoping that that helps us all have context with the scripture. Remember, context is, is king when it comes to the Bible. You, you have to know where the verses are and what they're being written about for them to really make sense. Otherwise, we take them out of context and they start saying things that they don't really say. And so knowing the context is very important. That's why this is such an important um, discipline and exercise to read through the scripture and study them this way so that you you get a feel for it you know we read the gospels and we got a feel for the the three-year ministry of Jesus and what he was doing then we read the book of Acts and we we got a feel for what the church the early church looked like and what they were doing and how it began to spread and the missionary journeys of uh, you know that that Paul was involved in of course you know we saw Peter's ministry as well and now we're concentrating on the the ministry of uh, that Paul had primarily um, you know, with Barnabas first, and then um, later on he went out again, and you know, with Silas, and all the other things that were going on. And we know that uh, he would go into places and plant churches, and that most of these churches were um, uh, Gentile churches. He, he always went into a new town and started with the um, Jewish believers, uh, Jewish folks that were there, um, and he would preach the gospel, and some would accept, and some wouldn't, and then he would move on from there, and he would uh, get... Um, preach the gospel to anybody that would listen and churches began to spring up in in all over the the world and in all those churches there were problems as there are in every church Uh, and especially when no one really knew what church looked like which probably was good and bad and uh, and uh, and yet there was a lot of issues that had to be addressed and so um, these questions would be would get themselves to Paul in forms of letters or people showing up to him and he would write back to the churches where the issues were going on and address those situations and that's how you get most of the New Testament is Paul writing back to help out the new church. His advice and information under the anointing of the Spirit is extremely helpful today. It's still the way that we do church um, as long as we hold it in context and understand he was writing this because this was going on and he was writing it in this time period. Still just as valid today but um, important to hold it in context. The book of Romans is the one letter that he writes to a church that he actually didn't start. Um, and most of the, you know, all the other letters he, he wrote to churches that he'd started and been involved with. He wants to go to Rome. Apparently issues have popped up there and um, someone has asked him to address them. And so he basically writes in the book of Romans a systematic theology. Um, that's, that's what makes Romans such an important book and why it's placed so early in the canon. Um, for you to read because it answers a lot of questions and uh, uh, it, it makes it very important for us to know as believers so we're into chapter 6 today um, the, the first three chapters of Romans were hard chapters like I told you they deal with the issue of sin um, not pointing finger sort of sin but the realization that we're all sinners and that we need a savior and that the law wasn't enough the law didn't do it you needed a savior and, and so it, the important part of those three chapters is to get everybody to realize they're a sinner so they understand their need for a savior. Too many people never get to Jesus because they just think they're good enough and they don't realize their need for it. We have a huge problem with that in our culture and country. 
Um, many, many people just think they're good people. The sort of prevailing attitude when you ask a lot of people about eternity is that, that all you have to do is be a good person. The problem is it's very hard to define good. And, and uh, everybody has a different standard of what good looks like. It sort of comes down to most people when you talk to them. If they do more good stuff than bad stuff, they get weighed out good. The problem is that's not biblical. And in the scripture, the, uh, the standard is perfect. And so now all of us have a problem because none of us is perfect. I don't care how good you've been, for how long you've been good, whatever that looks like, you're still not perfect because all of us have sinned. And that's the issue. And then we know that the, the promise is and that the, what's happened for us is that Jesus has come, who was perfect and is perfect, and he, he gave his perfect life on our behalf at the cross, defeated death and rose again, and in him now we have life forever. We're going to touch on that a little bit today in Romans 6. So uh, the first five chapters overall, um, Paul proclaims the good news of peace with God, um, the redemption is received by faith, and offers the forgiveness of sins. These next three chapters um, have to deal more with sanctification, and, and that's the change that God makes in us by the Spirit in our lives as we grow in the faith. And so we'll be seeing now, he's moving on in this whole discussion about sanctification, about change, about what things should happen in our lives. Also interesting to note in, uh, in Romans 6 and in and other spots from now on, Paul writes in a form that's called diatribe. Um, most of you know that what that is, right? No, probably not. It's funny how we forget those little terms. Diatribe is a, uh, is a, is a form of writing where the writer um, inserts objections from an imaginary opponent. And, and so that's what Paul's doing there, because he'll, he'll ask questions like somebody else is asking him the question when, in fact, he's just writing the question and then he answers it. And, and uh, like one of those questions you'll see is, well, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Because Paul's made this uh, thought that, um, uh, you know, sin is forgiven and it's a, it's a picture of God's movement. And then the question is, well, then we should probably sin even more so we can see more of God moving. And Paul goes, no, that's ridiculous. But you'll see how he asks a question and then that's sort of a contrary question. And then he answers it. You'll see that a lot in Romans 6. Um, also, you'll, you'll start to get a... See, the, the thing is, as we move into Romans 6, um, we'll talk about being set free from the sin nature and what does that look like? What does it mean um, for that to happen? And there's sort of four theories that are fairly common and then there's what Paul actually says happens to our sin nature. One theory is for believers that um, when we come to Christ that it's eradicated. And, and uh, according to that theory, when a person becomes a Christian, the sin nature itself dies. And, and that means that the very capacity to sin is removed and... Um, uh, whatever a Christian desires or chooses must flow from the new in him and not the old. And of course, our, all, our, all of our common experience, as well as the Bible's promise of continued forgiveness, makes it plain that that theory doesn't fit the facts. The sin nature is not eradicated when you get saved. Um, it would be great if it did, if it was, but it's not, and all of you can attest to that. Since you've been saved, you've all sinned. Most of you, since you've got here, have sinned. All right? Tonight. So... <laughs> We need forgiveness constantly, all right? Um, then uh, another theory would be suppression. Uh, and according to that theory, when a person becomes a Christian, um, he or she is given the power to control the sin nature. And while the capacity and the desire for sin are still present, 
Um, the Christian is responsible to hold down that desire. In this approach, a great deal of emphasis is placed on the law as a tool for suppression. And, and uh, um, guided by the law's demands then, we'd always be aware of our own personal responsibility, and the individual fights for mastery over the old self. Um, we'll see Paul talk about this grim struggle in Romans 7 next week, and he'll say, you know, I wanted to do what was right, but I just couldn't. And, uh, and most of you have known those verses and person, well, I want to do what's right, but I can't. Who's going to help me? It's Jesus. He couldn't do it. He failed. Self-crucifixion. Uh, is another theory, um, noting that we're crucified with Christ, Romans 6.6, 6, and again in Galatians 2.20, it says those things. Um, this approach to the Christian life visualizes our sin nature as something that struggles to get off the cross again, and it's the believer's responsibility to live the crucified life. Each temptation calls for renewed surrender to God. Um, the problem with that is, is that we quickly move in to the point where any human pleasure we think is a temptation from the evil one and we wipe out joy completely in our lives. So it doesn't work. You, you, we've talked, I've talked to you at length and lately in particular that in the presence of God there's joy. There ought to be a measure of joy in your life all the time, even in difficult things. Um, you know, not always yay joy, but a sense of peace and down, you know, down deep inside knowing that God's got you now and forever. And then another type of uh, people look at this with the old sin nature is called penalism. And that approach uh, views that all temptation is from the evil one. The, prover- the problem is never located within us. It's always the fault of the evil one. And uh, the, the right response to that attack is rejection. We're to resist in the authority of Jesus who had the cross one final victory of any ours, the evil one. Um, but what Paul teaches in Romans 6 is different from each one of those four ideas. And his argument rests on a unique understanding of what happens, actually happens at the cross. And Paul um, will teach us a way to respond when we sense that pull of sin in our lives, and it's a way that brings freedom. And it's based on the realization that Christ's work on the cross rendered our sin nature powerless. It still exists, and it still pulls us towards evil, but we don't have to respond. And we're no longer slaves to sin. That's what he's talking about. And that's what we need to look at, and that's different from those other theories. Um, it, in Christ, we're different now. We don't have to respond to the sin nature. We often do, but we don't have to. And that's the difference. And he'll help us not do that over time as we grow in him. So let's dig into Romans 6, 23 verses. I'm reading out of the NIV. Um, you can follow along in your Bibles. You can follow along in the bulletins. Um, whatever translation you have will be just fine. Uh, read along in that. If it's a little different, it's a little different translation. But here we go, Romans 6, 1 through 23. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? There's one of those questions. By no means, he answers his own question. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. 
For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace? There's one of those questions. By no means, he said. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you're weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at the time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, quite a bit of stuff in there. Let's dig in together in the few minutes that we have. Now, in those first four verses of Romans 6, Paul begins to talk about our union with Christ. And um, I've told you this before, we'll talk it again. See, we're now in Christ. And that's the foundation for our new lives as Christians. We are in Christ. God sees us in Christ. We're new and different. And, and just in the same way the forces of evil were unable to hold Jesus in their power, they're no longer able to hold us either. The resurrection sets us free from the powers of darkness. We're in Christ. Um, we're still going to struggle, and we'll talk about that some more. But you need to see yourselves as in Christ. This is a big part of the battle. Um, we talked about this at length when we talked to, in the Disciples Heart series about having access to the most holy place with God. And because and and a lot of times um, we'll get this idea that we've, we've not arrived. There's still some areas in our life, and if we're honest, all of us have areas in our lives that we know aren't where they should be. Um, and hopefully you're yielding to the Holy Spirit and he's working on them. But we all have areas that aren't quite where they need to be yet. We, they might be big areas, they might be small areas, and, but I've said sin is sin, so that's all just sort of how you look at it. They're all issues. Um, we've talked, you know, I mean, we could be, we could be trapped in anger, um, which we, we're trying to deal with. We could be trapped in sarcasm, which we're trying to deal with. We could have, um, we could be very self-absorbed. And we know that's not right. We're trying to deal with that. We, we could be gossipers. We know that's not we're good, trying to deal with that. We could have other sort of issues, you know, pain relief and sort of other things that we're turning to that we need to deal with and we haven't. Um, the list goes on and on. These are all things that we know are still real that we're um, hopefully working with the Spirit on that um, we never get to the spot. Cause it's a pro- if you get to the spot where you don't think you have any more issues, you're in a bad spot because you still... <laughs> You still do. And like I said, I hope you've got 
I hope everybody has one or two friends that are kind enough to say, no, you haven't arrived yet in love. If you don't have that person, come and see me. I'll find something real quick, and we'll go from there. <laughs> I don't really want to do that, but you know what I mean. So, so we're all at work. However, we're in Christ now, positionally. That means that when God sees us, he doesn't see all that mess. He sees us in Christ. Now this is very freeing because it allows us to know that we have access to the most holy place, to a holy God, right where we're at right now because he sees us in Christ. We know we're a mess. Well, if we, if we got to hold that intention. That's why you got to get that you're united to Christ now. You're still a mess. I, I will give us all that. But because we're in Christ, we have access to a holy God right now and forever because he doesn't see all the mess. He just sees us in Jesus. And, and we look fine. Okay, even though we're not, because of what Jesus did, that's how he sees us. That doesn't mean, so that's those questions Paul say, oh, well, if that's how he sees me, then I don't have to work on this stuff. Well, of course not. Because he sees you that way, and because you love him so much, you want God to continue his work in you. That's what these whole chapters are about, sanctification, to change you. Because you, you know, hopefully, you never get to the spot where you think it's okay. You, you know, there, that it's not guilt that we're looking for, but conviction of the Holy Spirit that says, you still need to be working on these things. And, and my hope is that, you know, I always tell you this, every three months, six months, a year, something, you ought to be able to look back and see that there's progress made in some areas. And, and then, you know, and sometimes there's great progress made, but now you've got a whole new set of issues that have popped up um, because there's always stuff. And he works on these issues, and you gain some ground, and then he starts working on some newer stuff. And, and, uh, and so this is ongoing. But you need to see that you're in Christ knowing that you have access to God, which will then, I think, engage you in the desire to keep working on the mess in your life, but keep you uh, in, in the change, knowing that it's possible and that he's at work in you. So um, that's the first part. You're in Christ. And because of what Jesus has done, uh, we're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to do what it says, and that's what's coming up next. All right. Romans 6, 5 through 10. So um, even though... The old uh, nature, uh, he calls it the old self, it's another term for the sin nature, was crucified with Christ, we still, still feel the pull of temptations. We feel the pull, but we're no longer in their power. We were before. Before Christ, you absolutely had no way to battle with that stuff. But now you do. In Christ, you, you can overcome it. We're, our days of slavery are over. We're now free to choose, you're going to hear this term, you've heard it before, to do the next right thing. You are free to choose to do the next right thing. In Christ, we're now alive to God and we can choose to live for him. That's the whole deal. And you've heard me talk about that all the time. It's, it pops into virtually everything that I do at some point because I want you to know it. We live by trying to do the next right thing. People ask me, how do I know the will of God? Live by trying to do the next right thing. That's where you find it. You, you, you keep trying to do the next right thing. Throughout the day, you're going to have lots of opportunities to do the right thing and not do the right thing. And uh, my hope is, and I've told you this every day, I hope to do better than I did yesterday. That's my hope. That's what I'm running against. Some days I do, and some days I don't. Uh, some days I do fairly well, not perfect, but fairly well. Other days I miss it from almost virtually the beginning of the day. I choose not to do the next right thing. I choose, I wake up grumpy. Um, there's a bad joke that goes with that that I'm not going to say. Because <laughs> I just get in trouble every time I do. Some days I wake up grumpy, other times I let them sleep. Um, 
Okay, good. So, now, uh, isn't that, uh, and you know, uh, it happens sometimes. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it happens. Or a, or, uh, a little thing will happen, or I wake up great. Usually what happens, I, honestly, I wake up very early in the mornings and I pray, and I'm usually in a pretty good spot. Um, but then something can happen, a little thing. I can, it's funny to me, I'll, I'll, I'll go and check the mail or something, my email, and there'll be something and just not quite right. And then, uh, did you ever, and it just kind of throws you out a little bit. And then you start thinking about it too much or maybe you get a little anxious or worried. I know none of you ever do that. And it's weighing on you. And then, and then your next interaction with people is off because you're not quite right. And then, you, then you've said something you probably shouldn't have said. And then that just spills into something else. And before you know it, you've got this whole series of not good things that have happened. It's like, oh, you know. But here's the deal. As soon as we recognize it, we can stop and we can go running back to God. Say, oh, I'm so sorry. And will you forgive me? And he does. And we get another start. That's the coolest thing about the next right thing. So you might blow it, blow it, blow it, and then you get it right. And then hopefully you do it right for a little while until you mess up again. And then you say, I'm sorry. It's okay. I love you. Now listen and go and do the next right. And he never gives up. That's what I love about God. He never gives up. He never goes again. Ever. Never, ever, never, ever, ever, never, never. He never will. He never, ever will. You need to know that too because if you ever think that God at some point is going to get tired with you, you'll quit going. He never gets tired of you. He loves you completely unconditionally in Christ. Go. Here's my spirit's with you. Go. Do the next right thing. And then over time, it hopefully gets better. Every day, we work on it. So, so see, now, where before we had no choice, now we have a choice. And the backup is that we have the Holy Spirit to help us. Romans 6, 11 through 21. So how do we choose to live for him instead of give in to temptation? Faith. We, we ask for his help, and he helps us. We yield to the Holy Spirit. We stop, and we start thinking actively about what's going on in faith, and we ask God to help us make good decisions. And he always backs it up to help you. Always. He will always provide a way out. Always. But you've got to ask for help. You ask for help. He's right there. I taught you that prayer. And it was one of the best prayers I ever said you could learn. Very simple. Do you remember it? Help! It, oh. Eh. My good pair's here. That would have been sad. These are... Okay, but thank you. I appreciate you looking out for me. Um, I do need it a lot. Uh, so again I said we call this living by doing the next right thing and every time that we step in the right direction God meets us there and he empowers us to do what's right because of what's happened because he defeated death and Jesus isn't making intercession for the Holy Spirit is here and he'll help us if we ask for help I read a pretty good analogy about this and uh, let me see if it works with you Uh, this analogy it's of a crew on a ship whose captain goes insane and, and they replace him in mid-voyage with the first mate. Um, so it was a legitimate sort of replacement. It needed to happen. The guy wasn't a mutiny. The guy just flipped out, and he wasn't okay. So now he's been replaced, but the old captain's still on the ship. And while he has no authority, he's still running around because he's not quite right, barking out orders. Um, the, new, the crew now has to figure out and know that he's not the captain anymore. There's a new captain. But they're used to listening to the old captain when he shouts out an order. They're used to it. It's what they do. They respond to it. 
So, so now what they have to do is they have to constantly remember that the old captain doesn't need to be obeyed anymore and they have to learn to respond to the voice of the new. And that's what it's like with us. Our old nature will keep on shouting out orders and it'll get very loud sometimes, won't it? Um, but it's been stripped of all its authority over us. It's been stripped. We do not have to do what our old nature is shouting at us to do. What we have to do is learn to listen for the voice of our new captain, Jesus, and choose to obey him. He and he alone is to be obeyed for the sin nature can no longer rule our lives. So we listen for Jesus, we follow him. That's what this whole thing comes down to. And he will help you. He'll help you do it. He will. Anytime that you trust him and ask him, he will help you. That's, that's what the issue has come down to. It's not a matter of, oh, I'm going to live by the law and I'm going to get all this stuff right. That's never it. It's a matter of, I'm going to live by trying to do the next right thing. And whenever I call out to him for help, he'll help me. When I mess up, he'll forgive me and put me back in the game. And then he'll help me to do the next right thing. That's the life that we live. That's what it means. That's the foundational part of this whole deal. It's that he's for us and he sees us in Christ. Last two verses. I just love these last two verses. But now, verse 22 and 23, Romans 6, now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. Pretty good result. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Most of you have heard Romans 6, 23. It's, it's part of the Romans road. It's tossed out there a lot. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve for our sin is death. That's the punishment. That's what we earned. That's what we should get. But because we're in Christ, we get the gift of eternal life that God gives us. That's really cool. And, and that's Romans 6. And that's why we keep pressing on. That's what gives us the, the desire because of the, he's already given us his very best. We're going to be with him forever. And now as we walk this thing out day by day, we want to experience his grace, which we do. But we're trying to live by doing the next right thing because he loves us and we love him. And that's where life is found. That's it. That's how it works. Not because we're afraid, not because we're scared, not because we're, you know, we're going to do stuff we shouldn't do and we're, we're taking advantage. We're just trying to walk this thing out in Christ because he loves us and he's for us and he's with us. And that is Romans 6. So, if you're watching by video upstairs, I need you to get ready to turn this off. I don't see you. Are you up there? There he is. Uh, if you're watching by video or on television, thank you so much for watching. We appreciate you being a part of us. And uh, we'll be back here in the next few days with another service for you. And um, God bless you all. We're going to close here with prayer, but we're done with the video for today.